Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, uh, great to be with you this afternoon. As Jonathan said, my name is Jonathan, and uh, together with my wife, Tanya, who is somewhere here, the back, um, we have two little kids, Judah, who is seven months, uh, if you hear a cockatoo, it's probably a small child. Um, and Blakely at the back there is my daughter. Uh, we, this is totally off the cuff, but we actually named Blakely. Blakely's name means a white field. And we felt drawn to that passage in John where the fields are white for harvest. And so uh, it's really cool to be able to share on, on what the theme of this weekend is, which is um, going out into the harvest. And I just want to say on behalf of Centerpoint Vineyard, uh, we're a new vineyard. 10 minutes up the road in Belrose. Uh, welcome to God's country. <laughs> it is awesome that you guys are here. Um, we're really excited to, although we're not hosting you um, officially, but to be hosting you in our hood. Uh, we have a, a great heart for the Northern Beaches, of which you are spending time on this weekend. And in a bit, we're going to head out onto various locations across the Northern Beaches and start to spread the good news of the gospel. So we are super excited to, to have you in our hood. And I'm praying that the Lord does wonderful things through this afternoon. So thanks for being with us. Uh, what I want to do this morning, um, as we've been talking, sorry, this afternoon, as we've been talking, is that um, prayer fuels mission. And so we want to spend a bit of time praying, and then we want to go out and use that as fuel for mission to bring the harvest. And uh, what I want to teach on this afternoon is a very practical tool called the miracle question, and I'll get to that shortly. Um, But really, this is about falling into that very old vineyard saying, spelling faith, R-I-S-K. It's about stepping out and risking for the kingdom and expecting that the Lord will come and meet with people. So I can't wait to hear the stories of what he's going to do. Uh, But before I unpack the miracle question, I just want to lay a little bit of a foundation for what we're doing this afternoon. So is that cool to go next slide? Thanks, mate. In the Western church, of which we're a part, we've largely bought into the lie that it's impossible to see people come to faith. And so part of what I want to do this afternoon is pray and repent of that lie, because it's not the truth. And uh, that lie, unfortunately, has meant that for many of us, we've actually removed ourselves from the game and we've parked ourselves on the bench. And by and large, we've outsourced evangelism to, in inverted commas, expert evangelists. And we've usually said, well, I'm not an evangelist, so I can't do this. And we've removed ourselves from the game. And what we've focused on in, I guess it's the fivefold Ephesians 5 passage of the fivefold ministry, the evangelist is actually an equipper for the, for the wider church. It doesn't exclude us from being a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus actually trained his disciples to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom. So part of discipleship is learning from Jesus how to do what he taught his disciples to do, his followers. And the word we actually get evangelism from, it's the translation of the Greek euangelion, which is translated evangelium in the Latin, and it's literally the good news. So what is the good news? Well, it's the good news of the kingdom. That's what Jesus was all about. That's what we're about as a vineyard. The good news of the kingdom 
is that Jesus reigns. So what we're stepping into this afternoon is partaking with him and bringing his rule and reign here on earth in people's lives. And a big part of that is seeing people come to put their hope and their trust in him as their saviour. In the kingdom, we, in, the, in the vineyard, we often talk about that from a kingdom perspective of putting our allegiance with Christ as king. And so all of us here have put our allegiance in him as our king. And so now we're choosing to follow him as his disciples and doing the things that he did. Be with Jesus, be like Jesus, do what he did is a good summary of discipleship. And that's what we're going to do this afternoon. When we outsource what we've later called the Great Commission to the select few Billy Grahams, and we place ourselves on the bench, what we're doing is we're actually undoing God's intention and design for discipleship. And we're therefore not utilizing his power in our lives. It's like we're leaving a V8 parked in the garage and we're taking our Suzuki Swift to work. I drive a Suzuki Swift, it goes really quick. But Colossians actually says that God's power is made perfect in weakness. You can go to the next slide, Glenn. And we know that that's a great Sunday school answer, don't we? But how many of us choose to live from that place? Choosing to live from a place of weakness. The tool that we're going to lean into today is reliant on the presence and the power of God. Today is about creating space for God to encounter people in power and for us to demonstrate the kindness of God to people. And it's reliant on a demonstration of the Spirit's power more than our own wisdom and our own strength. And the Bible teaches that that is a prerequisite to see the power of God come. It's weakness. So do any of us this afternoon feel a little bit weak? I do. Jesus is saying, perfect. Now I can use you. See, Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, I came to you in weakness and in fear. This is the Apostle Paul. And with much trembling. Can anyone relate? My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith would not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And I find that really interesting, because when we track through the book of Acts, Acts 17 and 18 in particular, Paul went to Corinth right after going to Athens. And in Athens, he was literally spending days debating with philosophers. Now, Paul was a pretty prestigious intellect. He was a smart guy. He wrote much of our New Testament. He was also a wonderful debater. He's like the Barack Obama level of debating ability here. And he spent days in Athens debating with philosophers with very little fruit. And so he moves to Corinth. It's really interesting, he completely changes his tact. He puts his main weapon back in his holster, his debating ability, and instead relies on a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Paul never wrote a letter to the church in Athens because he never planted one there. He wrote letters to the church in Corinthians because of the fruit that was sparked from the Spirit's power. It's like he intentionally puts aside his main skill set in order to be reliant on the Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I find that a wonderful gift and a weight off my shoulders mainly because I am rubbish at debating. Um, 
I was once made, I don't know why, but made to fill the final spot in a school debating team. And uh, I stood up and I was so terrible, I actually argued the opposing team's point for them. And <laughs> the, congregate, or the, con the, the audience was correcting me mid, mid my debate. And I sat down quite humiliated and was never asked again. We don't talk much in the Western church about meekness. But I think we should, because Jesus was meek, but Jesus was not a walkover. See, in the West, we've tended to think that meekness means um, being able to be trampled upon or being perhaps shy or submissive. But meekness is about putting your strength aside that would ordinarily try and control outcomes and leaving outcomes with God. Instead of leaning into what you ordinarily see as your strengths, you choose to serve people, giving space for others to be raised up, choosing to put yourself in situations where you're an empty vessel, where you can't just run the show on your own strength. And when we're meek, that allows the Spirit of God to fill you with power and to use you for his kingdom. If you go to the next slide, mate. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but that is exactly what Jesus taught his disciples to do in Luke 9, when he was giving them his crash course in evangelism. This is Luke 9. When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority, very key words, to drive out demons and to cure diseases. That's the demonstration of the kingdom. He sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. No extra shirt. It's pretty hot. It's 30 degrees today. But I think perhaps what Jesus is challenging them to do is to put aside the things that they've ordinarily attached their own self-reliance to. Literally drop your staff, the thing that would be propping you up. Food or coffee, anyone. <laughs> Clothes, the stuff that we present ourselves to the world in. Money. All the things that we turn to when we're feeling vulnerable as a quick fix, put them aside and live a life reliant on the Spirit. I think that's what Jesus was getting at. Next slide. I actually wonder if there's a link here between this Luke passage and his second volume in Acts, where Peter healed a lame man. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Why did they have no silver? I wonder if Peter and John here were living out what Jesus told them in Luke 9. If you had a crash course from Jesus himself, how to demonstrate and proclaim the kingdom of God, and it involved leaving your money belt at home, I think you'd probably go and do what he told you to do. It seemed to work then. This is post the ascension. I wonder if it works now. Lo and behold, it did. There's something else I find really fascinating about this particular story. This was the, the temple gate called Beautiful, and Jesus taught there a number of times in the Gospels. And yet this man was here every day. 
It's not in the text, but I wonder if it's safe to assume Jesus would have walked past this man a number of times. Now, it raises a question in my mind, why didn't Jesus heal him? Purely my speculation. But I wonder if this miracle was as much for Peter and for John as it was for this lame beggar. This is Peter's first recorded occasion of a healing after Jesus' ascension. And I wonder for him if this was a bit of a penny drop moment. Wow, this spirit that was empowering Jesus and has just filled us at Pentecost is the same spirit that's going to continue filling the church to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. What we're going to do this afternoon, it's one form of evangelism. But I wonder if potentially this afternoon is as much for us as it is for the people that we're going to be chatting to and praying for. So what we're asking God to do is to teach us today to learn to be disciples. We're getting a crash course from Jesus by his spirit, how to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom. I actually wonder if Jesus walked past this man, again, purely speculation, and asked the father about him. Is it today, Lord? Do I heal him today? And the father whispers, just hold on. This one's for Peter and John. There are people all around us who are seeking Jesus. Some of whom Jesus has divinely appointed to be at the beach this afternoon for you to bump into and lead them into an encounter with the living God. But we don't know who they are until we step out. Equally, there will be some people you encounter and it's not their time right now. That's okay. This afternoon, don't force it on people. Trust that God has a plan. You might walk past somebody and they're not ready and they ignore you or they say something rude. But that very fact that you offered prayer might sow a seed in their life that in a month's time, another Christian walks past them, prompted by the Spirit with a word of knowledge to offer to pray for them. And they say, oh, someone did this last month. Maybe I should take them up on this offer this time around. And bam, the kingdom of God comes and changes their life. For others of us today, I wonder if stepping out this afternoon is about realizing that we won't die. By experience, we'll learn that the worst thing that's going to happen today is someone ignores you, or they roll their eyes at you, or you feel like a bit of a fool. But if you're a parent of small children, older than three, or you've worked in a workplace longer than five minutes, that's not the first time that's happened to you. Until you realize that you can do this and you don't die, a whole world then opens up for you. So if we want some stories like the book of Acts, we need to get outside the safe boundaries of the church and start to bring the kingdom to where the people are hungry and in desperate need. I remember one of the first times I did that. Um, quite literally, I was having a, a meeting with a friend of mine called Ben uh, in his church office in New Zealand, young guy. And he does this stuff a lot. And so I was picking his brains because I kind of wanted to grow in it. And I'm like, Ben, tell me your secrets. What's the secret source? And uh, I was getting on a plane the next day and so I, I sort of threw it out there as like, a, I knew it was quite safe. You know, oh, I'd love to go out with you sometime and do this, knowing that the, the time frame between now and me getting on a plane tomorrow morning with the pack schedule in the afternoon wasn't going to happen. And he goes, yeah, yeah, okay. And then he looks out the window and he goes, well, there's some people, hops up, runs out the door, <laughs> goes around the other side of the building and starts chatting to them. And I remember I was with Daniel, we look at each other, do we, 
follow him? Like, and so we kind of hopped up and jogged around, and by which stage he was deep in conversation, and he goes, oh, great, Jonathan's going to pray for you for that. Okay. And I, I mumbled my best prayer and said amen, and we blessed them. And I realized I was still alive. <laughs> and from that point on, I realized that the worst that can happen is that they say no. And even if they say no, it's been an attempt to demonstrate the kindness of God to them. And so I've started from that point on just trying to do it in my weakness whenever the Lord prompts me. And sometimes it creates, it needs real intention, like, okay, we're going to do it in an hour. Sometimes I'm at a coffee shop and I just feel like the Lord say, why don't you ask this person a question? But the more we do it, the easier that it gets. You can go to the next slide. Thanks, mate. So that's a bit of enough of a foundation for what we're doing. I want to jump into this thing, which is called the miracle question. And it's just a tool. Now, for some of you, before I go on, as I've been speaking, you've felt fear slowly rising up in you. As I mentioned the thought of chatting to a random on the street. We're going to pray for that shortly because the spirit of God is a spirit of boldness. But just to say off the bat, I am a strong introvert. On the Myers-Briggs, I'm something like 27 nil towards introversion. So this is always a huge stretch for me. In fact, just chatting to anybody drains my iPhone battery of my heart. So this is not a normal inclination for me. Give me a coffee and a book and a quiet room and I'll see you in two months time. But because of that, I largely disqualified myself from doing evangelism and for sharing my faith. But I also knew that this is something that I wanted to grow in. It's like the spirit was tugging on my heart. And so I was reading a lot around spiritual formation at the time. A guy called Dallas Willard has shaped a lot of my thinking in that. And he has this concept called VIM, vision, intention, and means. If you want to grow in something, you need these three elements. You need a vision. You need an intention to fulfill that vision, and then you need a means. And so my vision was to grow in sharing my faith. So my intention was I want to start praying for people. I'm going to try and pray for five people this month. And then I needed a means. And that's where the miracle question really came in for me. It was the means by which I could start to achieve this vision of growth in evangelism. It became like the vehicle that I was able to use. And so before we start, I said this before, it's never easy, but it does get easier. And it's kind of like driving a car. I remember the first time I drove a car, I actually drove my first hour of my L's without my seatbelt on because I was so confused about everything else that I was having to do, I just forgot to put my seatbelt on. Does anyone remember that daunting feeling of sitting in a car, you're like bunny hopping down the road and there are cars beeping at you and you're freaking out? But then after about 25 hours behind a wheel, you start to relax, and then after 50 hours, you start to enjoy going for a drive. That's kind of like the miracle question. The first time you do it, your head will probably be spinning, but after a while, you ease into it, and the Lord teaches you, and you grow in it, and it can actually become enjoyable. Seeing God break into people's lives is usually pretty enjoyable. As I said, I first encountered the miracle question in New Zealand through my friend um, Barry, actually, uh, who was taught by Ben. 
And Ben was taught by a guy called Mark Marks, who was at Causeway Coast Vineyard at the time, who developed this tool, The Miracle Question. I later met Mark in the UK, and I spent a few hours picking his brains on all of this, and then we went out on the streets and we practiced it, and I learned a lot in that kind of half a day. And then I've come back and I've just tried to implement it as a bit of a tool. And the first question, if you go to the next slide, the miracle question is actually three questions. I want you to memorize those this afternoon. First question, may I ask you a question? Pretty easy start. But the way that you ask this is like you would ask someone for directions. So, not been in DY before, do you know where Coles is? The same way that you would ask somebody that question is how you ask this question. Hi, excuse me, can I just ask you a quick question? Now most people at this point are usually pretty open to answering a question, but this is a bit of a sieve with the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord drawing? Because if someone is busy, not wanting to engage with you, thinking that um, you're trying to sell them something or whatever, they'll probably shut it down and say, no, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. That's okay. Move on to the person that is open. Sometimes you have a parent chasing their kid on a scooter and trying to catch them before they crash into the tree. Probably not best to stop them and say, can I ask you a question? <laughs> Just say, hey, you're busy, you know, bless you. I'll, I'll catch you some other time or something like that. Um, so use this question as a bit of a sieve, who is the Lord drawing? Now, if someone doesn't stop for you, the key is do not take offense. If they keep going, just say, it's okay. I, know, I can see that you're busy. Don't take offense. Just go to the next person who the Lord might be drawing. If they stop and engage with you, then you roll into the second question. If God could do a miracle in your life today, what would you ask him to do for you? And just ask it really naturally. It'll probably put people a little bit off guard. They're probably not expecting this to be the question that you're gonna ask them. Um, as you do it, you just pick whatever words are comfortable for you. So it could be, if you could pray a prayer today, what would you pray to God? Um, if you could ask God to help you in some way today, how would you ask him to help you? I remember I felt prompted to ask a waitress this question uh, after she brought me my coffee and I kind of fought it with the Holy Spirit for the entire coffee, didn't enjoy my coffee and then right at the end I was like, okay, fine. I said, hey, do you mind if I just ask you a question? And she said, yeah, yeah, sure. I said, I'm a Christian. I was just wondering, if God could work a miracle in your life today, what would you ask him to do for you? And she sort of looked a bit stunned and was like, I'd like to give you a non-cliche answer. Can I come back? And I thought that was a really smooth exit on her part. <laughs> Not expecting her to come back, but five minutes later, she goes, I've been in the kitchen and I've been thinking about what you asked me. And uh, my dad has a heart condition. He's got to have surgery. And I guess I would ask that God would do something about that. So the key for this question is to lead into an on-ramp for you to pray for them. So your next response is, wow, thank you for sharing that. I'm a Christian, do you mind, could I just pray for that right now? And then you just pray your best prayer. Mm -hmm. Coming from the mind of God, how would God want you to pray for that person? So you're listening, Holy Spirit guide me in this prayer. All the gifts of the Spirit are available in this moment. So if this is a healing moment, pray for healing. Be listening to the Lord for a word of knowledge. We're going to be heading out in twos, usually because the person asking the question is so fixated on asking the question, it's difficult for them to listen to the Lord. You get better as you do it. So the second person with you, be listening, is there something that the Lord wants to say to this person? And use that as a bit of a tool to then keep progressing with the conversation.
if they answer something like, wow, great question, uh, never thought about that, or not really sure, or perhaps they, they know, but they don't want to tell a stranger what it is going on in their life, totally fine, you can just prompt them at this point. Do you, by any chance, have any pain in your body, or any friends or family that are sick, or any financial need? Just something to jog their memory. Give them something to jump on that you can then pray for, because that will continue with this conversation. And then you want to pray for them. And as you pray for them, I usually try and lead with the love of God. I weave that into the start of my prayer. So ask them your name, ask them their name. Do you mind if I just, what was your name? Oh, my name's Karen. Okay. Well, Lord Jesus, I thank you for how much you love Karen, how much you are for her and you long to know her. And I just ask right now, Holy Spirit, you would come and reveal your love to Karen. And this need that she has, we bring that before you and we ask that her brother would be healed. And then you can continue to pray whatever she's asked you to pray for. I kept going back to the same cafe to continue this conversation with this girl over the next couple of weeks. And um, it opened up some wonderful conversations with her. I had a word of knowledge about her migraines. We prayed for that. After about the third time, she said to me, this is becoming a bit of a thing that we do, isn't it? <laughs> So it can, if you, go, if you use this tool in a place where you are regularly going, your shopping center, your cafe, your school, pickup yard, whatever it is, you can actually continue to have these kind of spiritual conversations with people each time asking the Lord to take them a little bit closer into the relationship with Him. Uh, the other thing just on this point, uh, unless it's something like an obvious healing, um, so if someone that you notice is on crutches, uh, or broken arm or something, and you can just go over and say, hey, you know, I'm a Christian, I believe God heals, would you mind if I prayed for your arm? Unless it's a scenario like that, I usually don't lay hands on the person, because that is kind of weird with a stranger that has no context of church. So I would just keep my body posture exactly as I would be talking to them. If my hand's in my pocket, it stays in my pocket. And it's almost like I'm speaking to them in my prayer, but I'm actually directing it to God. So anyone else walking past would have no idea really that I'm actually praying for that person, except for the person that I'm engaging with. Um, if you do feel like the Lord's asking you to lay hands on something, if it's like a healing or you just feel like the Lord's asking you to do that, always respect people's dignity. It's the, you know, Church Prayer Ministry 101. Um, it equals the same out on the street. Uh, you know, hey, um, would you mind, could I just lay a hand on your shoulder really quickly? Most people are okay with that, but always ask permission um, if you're praying for somebody. And when you're praying, try and dial down the Christianese. We get really good in church of praying in Christianese, but people outside the church don't really understand what we're talking about. So just use normal language as if you're speaking to them, but you're actually speaking to Jesus. And expect that the Holy Spirit will start to move and encounter that person. So you can do some feedback did you feel anything was going on while I was praying for you? Particularly if it's a healing scenario. Um, hopefully you've learned kind of the, the Vineyard 5 step. Check in. If, you pray, if your pain was a 10, how is it now? Those kind of questions. Just keep it going and, hey, do you mind if I pray again? All of that stuff that we practice in church. Church is practice for the game. Cool. Uh, the last question then. 
Oh, sorry, I'll just mention as well, if someone takes it away from themselves and they say something like, oh, you know, I'd love God to heal world peace um, or cure cancer in the world or something like that, you know, validate that. Amen, I would love to see God do that. But for you personally, bring it back to them. But for you personally, if God could do something for you right now today, what would you ask? Keep redirecting it back to their need and God encountering them. Cool. And then you can move on to the third question. And this is really the gospel part of the miracle question in terms of the proclamation. What do you think is the greatest miracle God could ever do for you? Now, at this point, they may answer with something that they hadn't come up with before. You know, my mum's really sick in hospital. That would be probably the greatest miracle that I can think of. Again, you can pray for that. But this question is really to give you a bit of an on-ramp to be able to share the gospel. The way that the miracle question works, it's kind of like lines on a road. It's so that you stay in your lane and keep the the conversation going towards Jesus. Um, And if it starts to pull off to the left, you can bring it back in with an easy question like, do you know what the greatest miracle is that God could ever do for you? Normally someone will say, no, no idea. That is a clean slate for you to start to share the good news of the kingdom of God. Now don't make this a 15 minute gospel presentation. This is like a one minute snappy based around the fact that Jesus is king and that he wants to know them, bring them into the kingdom. So I would normally phrase it, and this is how Mark Marx came up with it. He phrases it like this. It's actually something that's already happened, and it's in the form of a gift. The greatest miracle has already happened, and it's in the form of a gift that is available. And you can explain that this free gift is life with Jesus and eternal life. Um, You can probably go next slide. Oh, actually, it's on that one. I've also got a picture that I will send to your team point guards, um, which I just have on my phone. It was created by a girl in our church. And I use this as a tool at this point in the conversation to help people potentially open their heart to Jesus. And it's just a picture of Jesus knocking on a door. The handle is not visible. It's on the inside. It's a modern reinterpretation of the one that hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral. And I say, this is a pic, can I show you a picture on my phone? Most people are like, yeah, sure. This is a picture of Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. If Jesus was knocking on the door of your heart, would you open it to him? And usually by this stage, after you've prayed for them and explained the gospel, most people will say something like, yeah, I guess if he was, I would. And then you can say, hey, well, can I pray that the Lord would reveal himself to you right here, right now? Can I help you open that door to Jesus? And hopefully... Their answer is yes. Even if you don't get to this kind of third question, what is the greatest miracle? The fact that you've prayed for them and hopefully created space for Holy Spirit to encounter them, that is already a big step for someone from unbelief towards belief. We need to think about evangelism as seed sowing. We don't always get to reap or pick the fruit. That may be someone else's job but we always need to be sowing seeds. And then occasionally, some other person has already sowed some seeds and we get to be the person that picks the fruit. Both are super exciting. A couple extra thoughts. Um, If you encounter an angry atheist this afternoon, don't spend too much time engaging with them unless 
God gives you insight for something in particular for them to share. Um, generally, people want to engage with you from this space around apologetics. That's not what the miracle question is for. There is a time and a place for apologetics. But the miracle question is really about creating space for the Holy Spirit to come and to meet with somebody. So I would say something like, hey, you know, great thoughts. I'm not heaps interested in a debate today, but is there something that I could pray for you? Something for you right now that I could pray for? And if they say no, we say, okay, well, you know, bless you and have a great afternoon. Surprisingly, a lot of atheists will actually let you pray for them. They'll say something like, well, I don't believe in your God, but sure. And it's a chance for your God to reveal himself to them. Um, Final thought, I guess, around this is just pray from God's perspective for that person. So as a loving father, what is God's heart and intention towards that person? Well, it's for blessing, so we bless them. Um, A lot of people underestimate the power of blessing. Blessing is powerful. Next slide, this is my final thought. The miracle question works really well alongside prophetic evangelism. So if you're someone who prefers to do, don't love this term, but treasure hunting, this um, works really well with that. So I remember one time we were taking a little team down from our church to DY, where some of you are going this afternoon, and I just prayed before I got in the car, Lord, is there someone in particular that you've, you've placed in my path this afternoon that I'm supposed to look for? And instantly, never, re- well, maybe happened once or twice since, but not common for me, I instantly got a picture of a girl with um, a very specific tattoo across her neck. I thought, okay, random. Um, sort of typed it into my phone, got in the car. As soon as I pulled into the car park in DY, I looked across, there's like a couple of hundred meters of grass and there was a table down the end and there was a girl sitting on it and I just instantly knew in my spirit, that's her. And because I was freaking out, I did the weird weirdo walk around like four <laughs> times and I was like, can I see your tattoo? Nope, can I see your tattoo? Nope. Uh, and, and then I walked around the back of her and the tattoo was across her neck and I thought, oh no. So I went and got Tanya and I said, you know, can you come with me? I don't want to look like I'm hitting on this girl. And so Tanya comes up to me. I'm like, hey, we're married. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, I was praying this morning. This will sound really weird. I'm a Christian. I was praying and sometimes I feel like God speaks to me. Would you mind if I shared um, what I thought he said to me for you? And she sort of said, yeah, sure. And shared it and she she melted, broke down, was giving us hugs. And um, so... That question, if you are walking around and you feel like the Lord uh, gives you a specific word for somebody on a park bench, that's a good lead. Rather than, can I ask you a question? A good lead is sometimes, hey, I'm a Christian. I feel like God speaks to me from time to time. Would you mind if I shared what I thought he said to you? Most people are pretty curious. And even if they're an atheist, they'll just say, yeah, sure, go for it. Dial it way down, all right? So... Hey, I'm just learning at this. This is kind of my first time. Um, I could be wrong. I wonder if. Those kind of things. Um, But even if you miss it, you can then roll into the miracle question. I remember I was at the mall and I was again at a cafe and I thought I had a word for the waitress about her insomnia. And so she comes out bringing me my coffee and I said, hey, I'm a Christian. I feel like God speaks to me. Um, I wonder, do you have insomnia by any chance? And uh, she thought I was asking her because I struggle with insomnia. (laughs) 
And so she starts telling me all the things that I need to do for my insomnia. So I way missed the mark. She didn't have insomnia at all. She was su suggesting that I go to the pharmacist across the way. Um, but I, I then just led into the miracle question and said, hey, well, I, I clearly got that one way wrong. But I was wondering, if God could work a miracle for you today, what would you ask him to do for you? And she shared what it was that she would love God to do. And I could still pray into that right there and then in the cafe. So even if you miss it prophetically, you can still use this as a good on-ramp to share the gospel. Cool. What I want to do, what's the time check on this? Um, so we have afternoon tea, is that right? Yeah, that can shift. No, that's fine. Let's do that. Um, uh, the way, yeah. Can I ask a question? Sure. Uh, great question. Still pray for them. Yeah. And then um, say, hey, join the fight. <laughs> I have prayed for Christians before. Um, and that's usually really encouraging for them. Not every Christian uh, has a framework of the kingdom like we have. And so a lot of people are really blessed, particularly around healing the prophetic. They don't have a grid for that. And the Lord really can encounter them in that moment. And if you have a word for somebody, even if, like, people have had words for me, I'm a Christian, I always find it a blessing. So, still go for it. So, Jonathan, if you've got a heap of cards that you can give them, that they make a, make a commitment, we say, now this is a church. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I selfishly printed a whole bunch of Centerpoint Vineyard cards. <laughs> And also, um, we're running an alpha course. So the aim this afternoon, we want to fill an alpha course this afternoon, all right? It's got my number on there. I'm going to give them to your, your point guards who are going to hand them out to you guys. So if you have a really good conversation with somebody, um, even if they don't make a commitment, say, hey, there's a, um, a great church I know. It's up in Belrose, 10 minutes away. Um, here's the, you know, the pastor's number. Jonathan is on there. Um, they're running an alpha course. This would be a great space for you. Cool. Um, how about we stand? I think the Lord wants to do a couple of things uh, ministry-wise, and then um, we're going to run the logistics. You've been listening to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delahart. So we see.